0: Well last week uh, I suggested to you that there is this tendency within the Christian life to think of what we do on the weekends, particularly on our Sundays, as maybe the most important thing that we do for God. When a study of the Scriptures would suggest that it is immensely important but also because of its instrumentality in preparing us for what God deeply and, and profoundly cares about, and that is what we do with the other six days of the week. As we discussed last week, I made the case that Jesus believed that his followers could actually function like salt scattered on the frozen sidewalks of this world that they would be like uh, radiant particles of energy going out from churches to all over the world to uh, warm and to illuminate uh, dark places and cold places of this world. Jesus urged his disciples to go out into the highways and the byways of this world and to invite every single person who would listen to come in to the banquet table of the kingdom of God. He commissioned his disciples to go out and make Other disciples of every nation, which means in the Greek language was every people group that they could possibly build a relationship with, help them to come to know the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them the wonderful ways of God. Jesus asked his followers to pray that more and more of us would be moved to go out into the harvest fields, to be the answer to that prayer ourselves so that more and more people will come to experience the life-changing power of God. And he called us to be people who make it our personal priority to seek out the least, the last, the lost, and to draw them toward the heart of God. I don't think there could be any instructions more clear in the Bible than this outreaching, outworking vision of Jesus, which he himself personally modeled and taught and commanded. See the field, he said. See the field as I, as I see it, he said in effect. Your workplace, your social circle, your school, your community, your neighborhood activities, they all matter to me because that's where the people who matter to me are. And you personally, you, every single one of you, is a key part of my strategy to reach into the lives of those precious people and to bring about the flourishing that I long to see all of my creatures and my creation enjoy. So the question I want to begin our conversation with this week is, how did it go, these last six? You know, how did that go for you? How did you experience yourself being the salt and the light that Jesus invites you to be, calls you to be, commands you to be? What particular ways did you live that out? I think for some of us, the the answer to that question is, is, is tricky. It's a little mushy for us, in part because we're not entirely sure how to assess our performance. Is, is what I did in that particular situation with that individual, is that what Jesus had in mind? Uh, the way I handled my resources in that moment or used my, the power of speech, is that participating in the commission that Jesus is talking about? I think many of us struggle to understand whether we are being faithful to the call of God uh, in the daily affairs of our weekday world. Uh, I think it's easier in some sense for those of us who work in the church context to answer that question. For those of us for whom our major field is the church, um, we don't struggle quite so much to, to know what it is exactly that we are supposed to do. And I think that's because the Bible supplies us, those of us within the body of Christ, with some pretty clear job descriptions. Uh, In his letter to the Ephesians, St. Paul writes, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Christ uh, himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." Now I want to just sit with that job description for a moment, and you'll see why, but I want you to sit for a moment with me on this description of what it is that, uh, that church workers are meant to be about. Before we talk about what the other field workers, Are meant to be about. Let's just think about church workers, because I think here this boils down to sort of three really big ideas. And the first of those big ideas is that to each one of us who has been called to work in the church, Christ has apportioned, the text says, which means doled out, a particular grace. In other words. We who are doing this church work are not operating on our own energy and our own ingenuity alone. That God has given a supernatural grace for us to conduct our work and to be effective at our work. There's a power that is flowing through us, that's working in us, that comes from him and not of us. And I can't tell you how many times a week... I feel the reality of that, or I talk to a colleague who's experiencing that, or I talk to one of you who's involved in the work of the local church, and you talk about that, that sense that there's something going on here that's not of me. That change that's happening, that heart that opened, that comfort that was given, it it seems to come from a power that is moving through us, a grace that has just been given to us. So the first big idea uh, when it comes to church work is that we're not alone in this, that there's a capacity that God has given us for this work. The second big idea in this Ephesians text is that there are really only five basic roles that we in the church are called to play. There are just five big, big jobs, in a sense, in in the life of the church, though many of us, I think, fulfill more than one of these at, at any given time, These are the big five. Some of us fulfill the function of an apostle. An apostle. In biblical times, apostles were the people who imagined and initiated and advanced the life-changing work. Yeah, th- these were the ones who went in and planted the churches and got the ministries to the widows and orphans going and 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 just initiated and catalyzed the new things that God wanted to, to be done. They're the visionary people. They're the daring ones. They're the spawners of practical works. They come up with innovative ways of advancing the mission of Jesus Christ. And you you can tell when you've met an a. Up- an apostolic person in the life of the local church because they absolutely exhaust you with their energy and their ideas. They're just always seeing fresh possibilities. Uh, Some people have fulfilled this role of being apostles uh, in the life of, of the church. There are also people uh, whose particular role is to be a prophet in the life of the church. In biblical times, as you know, the prophets were the people who dared to tell the truth. They were the ones who who called out situations uh, where sin or injustice or or brokenness of some other kind was going on, and they named it. They had the courage to name it and, and to talk about what they believed God was saying we ought to do about this. Uh, particular circumstance or condition. And and we've got a bunch of prophets on our staff and in our elder board and in the volunteer ministries of Christ Church. And they are annoying people. (laughs) Because they challenge us in ways that it's uncomfortable to be challenged. And they are essential to us, aren't they? In helping call us towards greater faithfulness to God. We need these apostles. We, we need these prophets. And then there are those to whom the grace is given, says St. Paul, to, to be pastors within the church. I'm not just talking about the clergy here. I'm talking about those who fulfill the pastoral role in a variety of ways. These are the people who are wired to to guide and to protect groups of people and to shepherd individuals along the way, the hungry, the lost, the hurting, the seeking. These these amazing pastoral hearts are so powerful powerfully used in the life of the body of Christ, I think of our Stephen ministers and of the people involved in our security ministry and the hospitality team of our church as as part of this pastoral office that we see here. As I joked last week, you don't even have to pay these people for this, They they just have been given these hearts, this gracious heart that cares and wants to shepherd people along in the journey. And then there are the evangelists. That's the fourth of the offices, the evangelists. And as that word uh, evangelist, whose root is from the Greek word euangelion implies, these are the people who are about good news. The evangel, the evangel, or the, the, the it means the good news. And the evangelists are people who are just impassioned to share the, uh, what, the good news of what God has done, of what God makes possible and they want to invite other people into it. They've got this passion to see everybody possible know life abundant and life eternal. Our worship ministries are filled with people who have this passion. That's why they do what they do. They just, they feel there's a role they play in helping people come before God and, and they want to exalt Him and praise His name and see others impacted by that. People that work in our missions ministry are all about this kind of, exhibiting this kind of special grace to people. And then there are finally, the fifth office, there are the teachers. They're the servants who take the extra time to really search the Scriptures and understand the meaning of God's Word and then tr- explain it to other people in a way that they can get. And You know somebody that's, that's, that's gifted for this particular office because you haven't entirely glazed after 10 minutes when they're talking. You're thinking to yourself, I'm not sure the guy up front has that gift, I'm starting to glaze. But But the teacher is the one that is meant to bring to you a vision for what God's Word says and how it gets lived out, potentially, in the day-to-day of your everyday life. I think of the people who, in our church, are investing in helping children and teenagers and adults come to know God's Word and to see the pathways that His Word gives us towards a greater kind of flourishing. And I thank the Lord that He's given the grace to some to be Uh, our teachers. Now, as distinct as each of these five roles are, they all share one common purpose. There's uh, there's sort of one overarching purpose to all five of these jobs. Um, And the Apostle Paul puts it this way, he says, so that the body of Christ may be built up, that that the whole life of the church may be strengthened, so that uh, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. All five of the church roles, the church worker roles, are aimed at building other people up in the faith, in their knowledge of God, in their maturity of character so that they can live their God-given potential fully. That's that's the overarching mandate so are you you with me this thus far okay so we have grace given for these church workers we've got these major job descriptions and the ultimate purpose is to build people up so that they can fulfill their god-given potential that's the big three ideas that i want to communicate so far now i want to throw out another idea you ready for this this is one this one's wild so hang on hang on What if, what if church work is meant to serve as a template for field work in your everyday life? What if the role of of, of coming to the church is actually to get familiar with these ways of being and moving so that when you're out in the world, they're your MO, they're your way of operation? Uh, You see, I I think that just as Christ uh, apportioned the supernatural grace needed for those of us uh, in the church, God has also poured out uh, supernatural capacity and power for those whose calling it is is to, to be his presence in the everyday context. Because this much we know, God loves the world. He loved it so much he sent Jesus to be that world's savior. And the last thing that Jesus promised his disciples was, and I quote, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. I'm going to give you the power, the grace apportioned to you necessary to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the place right where you live, in Judea, the neighborhood around you, in Samaria, the uncomfortable places you'll go, and to the very ends of the earth, wherever you find yourself. I'm going to give you that power. And if you are a devoted disciple of Jesus, if you've opened up your life to him and said, Lord, fill me, use me. If you prayed the prayer that I encourage you to pray every day before getting out of bed last week, I said, Jesus, give me your eyes, give me your heart for the field I'm going into. If you're a disciple like that, you have been given the power of the Holy Spirit. You have been given the capacity to serve him in a remarkable way in his letter to the corinthians and i encourage you to go back and read 1 corinthians chapter 12. st paul says in effect that spiritual gifts are given to every believer spiritual gifts are supernatural endowments given to every believer for the upbuilding of the church and the fulfillment of its mission in the world that's what a spiritual gift is. Different than a regular talent or ability or skill or, or, or human capacity, it's a grace that has been apportioned for these purposes. In a sense, spiritual gifts are kind of like power tools. Um, you ever used a power tool? Uh, you know the difference it makes when you've got a power screwdriver versus you're cranking one of those old-fashioned ones. You know the difference and how important it is to have that kind of power. I don't know how many of you have ever walked down the um, tools aisle at Home Depot or Menards or Lowe's. I want to be equal opportunity here. Um, if you've ever walked down the aisle, you know, you're just overwhelmed by the multiplicity of tools. I, I, I walk down those aisles and I start thinking about, gosh, all the projects that, that could get done if I could just convince my neighbor to come over with his tools and work in my house. But it's exciting to think about the increased capacity that comes with those kinds of tools. And and spiritual gifts, the list of spiritual gifts that we find in the Scriptures, is a little bit like uh, walking down the aisles of one of those stores. And I believe that sitting right here within the sound of my voice are people who are amazingly spiritually gifted. Some with the gift of communication, some with the gift of administration, some with the gift of leadership he may have filled you with an unusual capacity for discernment. I mean, you can cut through stuff that other people are just confused by and you just see the way through to the other side that God would want us to go. Or you've been given an uncommon gift of wisdom and understanding and how things fit together. Or you have the, the, God gives you these words of knowledge at times. He, He may have gifted you with a capacity for mercy in situations where other people turn away. Your heart moves in the direction of the need or maybe it's a capacity for prayer or for healing arts of various kinds and and that list I've just given you is just one of the aisles in the huge store of God's spiritual gifts so one of the things I hope you'll do is figure out what your gifts are your spiritual gifts um to, to Google uh, spiritual gifts inventory when you get home today and, and or talk with one of our staff and we'll give you a printed copy of a spiritual gifts inventory that could help you identify what those particular gifts are, the ways that God has gifted you for your personal mission in your everyday world. As an aside, I do want to observe that, that not every endowment that God gives us, looks like a gift at the start. I shared last week that I'm part of this um, uh, small group of of men that are going through a curriculum that has to do with our calling in this world. Uh, We're trying to figure out, um, at at this point in my discipleship journey, um, what is my role in the mission of God going forward? How How do I live that out? And so we got to the question of equipment. How, how are we equipped to actually fulfill that role? That might be a key to understanding what more of that role is. And and so we went around the circle and 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 we're starting to share, you know, these are my strengths, these are my interests, these are my proven uh, skills, this is a, the spiritual gift I think God gave me in this way. It was easy for the guys in the group to talk about that until the last person who shared said, you know, I, a couple of years ago, I went through just a devastating tragedy and loss. And, and I am not over it, and neither is my family. But I am coming to see that even that horrific unbidden loss is part of the way God has equipped me for my mission in the world and to walk alongside others who have suffered terrible tragedy in their life. And the room was completely silent as every one of us began to come to terms with the fact that there may be things, even about the hardships and the darkness and the struggles of our life, that are in some strange and mysterious way gifts that can enable us to fulfill the mission that God has for us in the world. So what are all the various ways that God has gifted you to fulfill your mission in your weekday world? As we move to a close today, let me also suggest that God has supplied you with the tools that he has so that you can play roles during your other six days that are actually quite similar to the roles that Paul identifies in Ephesians about the work of the church. For example, some of you are called to play an apostolic or an apostle role out there. You are meant to be the visionary, initiator, catalyzer, advancer of some life-changing work. Uh, Think about that. I read uh, this past week of a, the story of a man by the name of, of Otto uh, Redwetter, waiter, who lived back in the very early 1900s and found himself touched by the repeat, repeated cry of women in his family and in his neighborhood about a very burdensome, time-consuming and actually physically dangerous task that they were doing. Now, if I told you what this task was, you'd say, oh, that's a, that's a pretty small task. Yeah, maybe to you, but women have been doing this task at the time that Otto lived for 3,000 years. They had taken a, a considerable amount of time for 3,000 years doing this particular task. And, and this, this got to Otto's heart, and he, and he thought, I'm going to do something to see if I can't address this particular need. So Otto he owns a small jewelry business, he sells the jewelry business, and he goes full-time into research and development on coming up with a technology to address the need. And it's a very long journey. He's trying lots of things that fail. In 1917, um, he, 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 the room where he's got all the blueprints for his, the various device prototypes burns down, he loses all of the blueprints, he has to start all over again. 10 years later he finally thinks that he's got a prototype, 1927 now, and he can't find anybody who's interested in it. Nobody will invest in it. So finally another Christian disciple decides that there's some merit to this idea and pours in the cash needed in order to produce the prototype and to actually begin to mass-produce it, and it begins to go out there, and in July of 1928, it's available to people for the very first time. And and an ad that describes uh, this particular device um, says this, this is the greatest forward step in the baking industry since bread was wrapped. Do you know what the thing he invented was? A box that could carve loaves of bread in segments. It gave rise to the phrase, now common to us all, the greatest thing since sliced bread. (laughs) What is the common need That God wants you to be the apostolic visionary that goes to address it in a meaningful way. What could that be? Some of you are called to, to play that kind of role in the world. Others of you are the prophet that is needed in some field out there. Because you're going out every single day and throughout the week into all kinds of situations where there is sin and there is injustice and there is brokenness of some kind. And it is being ignored. Uh, it is being glossed over, it's being avoided. Somebody needs to find a way to call it out. Try and do that in a winsome way if you can. You'll get a better hearing. But, but follow the calling to, to name the things that need fixing, and as God gives you a vision of what you believe ought to be done and the way things should be handled, dare to speak about that. Somebody needs to declare the truth and call for the change that God wants to see happen. Or maybe you're a pastor at heart. Um, you're going to go out this week and you're going to meet people who are struggling, who are looking for guidance, who, who, who are hurting. You're, you're going to meet all kinds of folks. And if you have the eyes of Jesus, you're going to spot those needs. Come alongside them. Lead that person or, or assemble that group. Help them. Shepherd them along life's way. Then there are those of you who clearly are called to be the evangelists. Uh, you're, you're the person that just has the ability to speak the good news in ways that other people listen. You know you're going to run into all kinds of folks who are overwhelmed with bad news. You be the person that, that helps to show them there's hope, that, that, they can, that there's help in God and in his community and, and in you for them, as they go through this season, be that kind of worker. Finally, there are so many people and individuals in places that need a teacher. Somebody will humbly explain the pathways to, to flourishing, to greater life that you know God's word m- marks out and, and who will share the practical wisdom. You don't even necessarily at the start need to tell people where that wisdom comes from. Just simply speak about the ways that you sense it can help them. The practices the principles teach them humbly teach them share what has been helpful to you in life's journey you know last weekend uh, one of the members of our church shared with me how he'd signed up this past summer to coach a little league team it was a second uh, a group of second graders he had never done this before but there was a call for for coaches and so we answered it. And he had went to the initial gathering, it was the draft gathering and they were uh, looking at uh, information about the various players and they were selecting the teams and because he did not have inside access to all the information the experienced coaches had, he just kind of randomly picked people. I'll take Chad, I'll take so-and-so, I'll take so-and-so and, and so on it went. And at the very end of this process, uh, some of the other coaches are kind of snickering because he has obviously picked people that have no idea how to play this game, the least experienced players. And and actually, he overhears somebody say, "Uh, well, at least we know which team will be in last place at the end of the season. But my friend, your fellow church member, took on that job. He was an apostle, in a sense. He built a team that wouldn't have been a team had he not showed up to be that coach. He was a prophet. He challenged bad behavior. One time he called the kids who were just sort of uh, picking daisies and distracted. He gathered them together on the pitcher's mound. He said, I want you to look down. I want you to look at those shoes. Those are $75 shoes your parents paid for. Do you think that, that, is, that, that you ought to be out here just kind of lollygagging? Come on, guys. Let's get serious about this game. He challenged a kid who was uh, spoiled and, and petulant to change his behavior. His parents, his parents came up afterwards and said, oh, thank you for confronting that pattern in his life. He was a prophet to them. He was also a pastor to these kids. You know, they struck out many, many times, and he was there to encourage them and to comfort them and to urge them onward in, 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 in the journey of learning the game, he was an evangelist because this person overflows, sharing what God means in his life and, and the life of the church, how important it is to him. He was a teacher. He was instructing the kids constantly in the practice of not just the skills of baseball, but the skills of life. I, I wish there had been a camera on some of the, one of the speeches that I heard him uh, reprise for me. They'd be making a movie about this. Guess which second grade team won the championship? (laughs) Yes, it was that team. It was that team. As I said last week, it's time for every follower of Jesus to come up to bat. And if we all do, in all of the places we go to, the impact will be enormous. So here's some helpful homework. First, identify which of the five-fold offices that I've been describing, that Ephesians describes, is most likely yours. And again, there may be more than one. Secondly, take a spiritual gifts inventory so that you have a better grasp of the particular capacities, the particular equipment that God has given you out on that field. Then think further, particularly, about the ministry you have in your workplace. And in our church, we are restarting a whole faith at work initiative you can read about in your Pathways bulletin to help you think about the creative role you play as a servant of God in your workplace. And, and, and if I could leave you with one big idea, it is remember to see the field. See that field you're going out to. And secondly, get more focused on how you use your tools. I love how Claude Alexander, the Bishop of the Park Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, puts it, and with this I will indeed end, there is a purpose for your being here. You are meant to answer something. You are meant to solve something, provide something, lead something, discover something, compose something, write something, say something, translate something, interpret something, sing something, create something, teach something, preach something, bear something, overcome something, and in doing so, improve the lives of others under the power of God for the glory of God. For this, my dear ones, is what disciples do with the other six. Please pray with me. Lord, we're so excited to be going out these doors and into that marvelous field. Fill us with a fresh sense that you have supplied us with the capacity that you've given us a vision of the roles that we can play in those places the blessing of others and for the glory of your name. This we pray in Christ and all God's people said, amen.